Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about using D&D as inspiration for art and using it for storytelling. Today we're talking to Matt Hottie. How's it going, Matt? Great, thanks guys. How are you? Doing well. Doing pretty good. Awesome. Um, so uh, first off, Matt, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, um, how, where people might know you from, and how long you've been playing D&D? All right. So, uh, yeah, my name's, uh, Matthew Hottie. Um, I go by MK Hottie on like Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm primarily a comic book maker, making web comics and, uh, self-publishing that type of thing. You might know some of my work. I started out making a comic called Space Pirates, uh, with my partner, Caitlin. Uh, and, uh, I've since gone on to make a, a couple other comics, uh, Saga of Metal Beard being the latest one. Um, and yeah, I only, only really self-publish, uh, but I, I think it counts still. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah, it definitely still counts. But yeah, um, so I've been involved in the comics community, mostly in Australia. Um, I moved out to Canada and Toronto about five years ago now. And, uh, yeah, I've been living here for some time, um, and, and, and been getting steadily involved in the comic scene out here. I've been to VanCaf a few times, um, which I believe is where I met uh, Jesse and uh, mutual friend Joe and uh, TCAF here and uh, a few a few other comic shows down in the States. But um, yeah, it's, it's been a ride so far. Um, so uh, why don't you tell us a bit about your history with uh, D&D and role-playing games and all that? Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, you did ask about that. Oh, no worries. Um, so I actually started playing D and D relatively recently, uh, started out with the fourth edition, uh, red box that they released. Um, I think it was the, the Reavers of Harkenwald was their, uh, uh, the adventure that came as part of that. And I ran that with a few friends of mine, um, uh, just, uh, just for, just, you know, for shits and giggles. And, uh, it, it was really fun. Uh, like I, I actually ran the game. I'd never played it before. I had no idea what it was about and um, or how to do it. But as soon as I played that first game, I was I was hooked. I, I was buying, I bought, I think, like all of the fourth edition books at the time. Um, didn't even get to use half of them. Didn't know what they were for. I just wanted to <laughs> wanted to own them. There were uh, so many books with fourth edition. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I had uh, I had the Dark Sun book. Uh, I wanted to run a campaign in that, but I just never, ever, ever did. <laughs> I just I owned it for whatever reason. Um, and then the Eberron 2, which is probably, it's probably my favorite setting. Um, Cause that's uh, such like a interesting place uh, to, to set uh, a campaign. It's still very much a fantasy, but there's also like a sci-fi aspect to it. Um, but again, I didn't even get to play in the Eberron setting until this year. In fact, so um, as a player rather than a DM, but, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, that's kind of where I've come from. But at the moment, I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm running a Waterdeep campaign, the Dragon Heist um, books uh, for uh, my partner and a few friends. 
and it's uh, I tell you, it's <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge actually. The cast of characters involved in that is uh, difficult. I keep uh, keep getting my accents confused, <laughs> and I'll be talking in one, then I have to switch characters, but I'm still doing the same voice for them, and I'm like, oh, goddamn it! <laughs> it's uh, it's a uh, it's it's a lot of fun though. I uh, I think they've been enjoying it too, which is the reason I, I wanted to run it really is uh, I enjoy seeing others enjoy the game as much as I enjoy it myself, knowing that they're having fun is the, is the real reason I do it. I think so. Yeah. I think but, yeah. that's the reason why a lot of DMS enjoy being DMS is that getting, getting to see people enjoying the, this story that either, whether you're running from a module or doing homebrew, getting to see people enjoy it and have fun with it is, I think it's a pretty, interesting and fun experience to see people enjoying it yeah so tell us i i got to see a physical copy because uh, jesse showed me the one that he got but uh you've got a zine uh dredge lord uh tell us a little oh, bit about yeah. that and why you made it what inspired it uh so the uh, tomb of the dredge lord is a uh a zine i made uh for uh like spx last year um it kind of came out of the idea that when I first started playing D&D, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and the books they give you do go a long way to like help you understand the game and uh, that type of thing. But there's, there's never, I felt like, enough information involved. So when I picked up the Starters Kit for 5th edition, um, and I, was running, I ran that for a few people, it was... There was it was still there, but it wasn't. I don't know. It still wasn't comprehensive enough. I thought in terms of like if you're an absolute beginner starting out, how to play the game. Because to be honest, I think like most people that pick up the dice and start rolling them already have like an interest in it. This was aimed at like someone who's like, well, not interest, but like some kind of knowledge about it. You know, like they they've either played a game or seen it played or listened to a podcast. Um, but they kind of have an, an idea of how it's run. This this was kind of like starting out from bad, like scratch, like no idea how to play the game other than dice get rolled. Um, and how would a beginner go about playing the game? Uh, so I kind of tried to include, like it's like a tutorial mode basically for a DM. Um, but also it's open enough that you could use it as an introductory setting to another campaign or that type of thing. But yeah, it was, and I really wanted to use, like I wanted to create characters for it and all that sort of stuff and kind of make it like a, yeah, like a, a mini comic that was an interactive story as well. Okay. So you've got, yeah, you got the characters that I included with it, but you could also run your own if you wanted. Um, and uh, tell like this, you know, kind of uh What's the word like Nordic, like Viking inspired uh, story? Like it could still set be, be set in like Faerun or um, any of the you know, like Greyhawk or Eberron, but in in an area where there's uh, more of like a Viking influence to the to the culture. Um, so yeah, and as part of it, I uh, I actually made little cutout tokens and maps and. Uh, stuff like you could use so like everything was in there you could uh cut out the figurines and fold them up and use them as your tokens and then there was battle mats included and uh 
all that type of thing. Uh, so every, everything you really needed other than dice, because uh, I couldn't figure out a way to include dice as part of it, but other than buying like a shipment of like a thousand and then spending like way too much money on what was supposed to be a photocopy print type deal. Yeah. I think that is because I, I ran the beginner box for uh, two different groups at the same time. Uh, and I think that is one thing that was kind of tricky to figure out was um, it comes with like, and I think this is one of the things that I, that kind of stumped me when I was trying to figure out how to get started with it is it comes with minis for the player characters because it comes with five pre-generated characters. Um, but it doesn't come with anything for the, the bad guys. It doesn't come with any like um, paper standees or anything like that for, for the goblins or any of the other things that you end up fighting in combat. So I was kind of, trying to figure out how to solve that. And I ended up just going out and buying um, a couple of minis. Uh, Cause I've thankfully got a, uh, a couple of, you know, gaming stores that are reasonably close that have um, the, that carry like the wizards of the coast minis, but also carry some of the other um, brands. Like I think there's a, like ones that you can paint and stuff like that. But at the very least I, w- I was able to, you know, go and find some minis that I could use. And it kind of like, now that I'm looking back and you're talking about this, this sign that's meant for beginners that comes with, you know, paper standees, I'm wondering what people do when they're out, you know, in the middle of nowhere and they had to, you know, they, maybe they picked up the box when they were on vacation or something and now they're back home and they don't have access to, you know, a store nearby where they can go and get that stuff. So I think it's really cool that you created something that's. Yeah. There's creative things you can do in that regard. Like use, I don't know, some like make your own, um, you know, to make little, like a little art project yeah. or something. But, uh, I think, uh, the only, only beginner box that I've picked up that had everything you needed was the pathfinder one. I think that had little, uh, paper minis that you could use with goblins and such, but I can't, I'm not sure. It's, it was a couple of years since I ran that. Um, but that was fun. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I wanted people to have everything they needed other than the dice, which are relatively easy to get, or you can just get like a, an app on your phone these days, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I really love about Tomb of the Dredge Lord because I've, I've leafed through it quite a bit and it's, and I, I helped play test it when our friend Joe was running it and you've got, you know, stat blocks, character sheets, you got the minis, You've got maps, you've got minis for other additional things, you've got spell cards that you've made, like, it's super usable, and like you're saying, or like you said, people can get, like, can find websites with dice rollers or apps with dice rollers for free or for cheap, and it, like, it makes it, it helps make the game really accessible to someone interested to play, but, you know, maybe it doesn't have the 20 bucks to, like, yeah. go and buy the beginner box, or it doesn't have the space for the beginner box. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, if you're living in a tiny apartment or something like that, and you just don't have the space, because uh, it's yeah, it's pretty decent. It takes up a space of what three, three like decent like size D and D books. I think I've got it on the shelf next to yeah DM's Guide, Monster Manual, and 
on that I mean, in there. If you want to hold on to the box, it takes up some space. But if you do what I did, mm-hmm. I just have the because it's because I've picked up a couple of beginners boxes now because I've got one for Shadowrun sitting next to me because I still right. want to try and figure that out. And I think yeah, I've got I the see. Pathfinder one sitting around here. But what they all seem to have in common is that the box is mostly empty. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, like there's there'll be a couple of you know pamphlet thickness books in there that have the you know beginner's rules and something for the dm and usually like some kind of fold out map or something so that you can get off the ground and then the rest of the space is empty but they've got like a cardboard filler thing so that you know the dice don't get crushed somehow in shipping i guess but yeah it it doesn't make sense that it's that big for the amount of stuff that's in there but i guess they want it to stand on the shelf too right so (laughs) Yeah, and I think part of it is the reason that the boxes are kind of big like that is because they're in, um, they're kind of I think they're kind of meant for uh, to be in to be seen in board game stores, and so yeah, they have yeah. to kind of compete with board games. And so if somebody's looking at you know the beginner's box for D and D and like Catan or something, I think if the box was thinner, somebody who doesn't have experience with. Um, with tabletop RPGs might, right, yeah. might not quite understand a thinner box and why that's yeah. From a retail perspective. Yeah. Definitely looks more uh, attractive to someone in, in the shop than uh, once you get it home and open it up and all that sort of thing. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of a paradox that, you know, you, you, the box is big and then you open it up and there's a couple of small looking books and then you read the books and realize that there's way more in the books than could ever be in a board game box. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Very true. Uh, oh yeah. So the the zine I got to take a look at. It's got some, it, it, like we've said already, it's got a bunch of art in it. You've created uh, like standees and maps and and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Which came first? Like the, the did playing D anD D inspire the art for that, or have you kind of always uh, like? Because you said you do like web comics and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I'm just guess I'm curious which way does the inspiration go does it come from D and go into the art or did it come from the art first uh well i mean i've been drawing for a long time and uh actually this is probably a bit of a confession i, I never used to like fantasy i always thought it was dumb but uh you know <laughs> i uh i guess i watched lord of the rings and i was like oh wow it's actually really really cool so uh you know i uh got into it that way i just tore through the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings books and uh, was uh, started reading some other stuff. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, there's a few things that I read that were like amazing. Sci-fi always used to be my jam. That was like the thing that I really cared about. And, um, well, not cared about, but was like really into. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't until I saw Lord of the Rings back in, what was it, like 2001, 2002, something like that, that I was like, oh damn, this is, this is cool. Um, and I guess like few years like i'd say it was like a good time later say like five six years before i played the game like when did that red box even come out i want to say it's like mid 2000s but i'm not sure um well the the fourth edition red box i should say uh but yeah i picked that up probably a few months after it was released and um played through that and yeah, basically from there I was hooked, but always finding someone that was interested to play or had knowledge of D&D and um, all that type of thing. I was lucky that I had a group of friends that were also interested because they were like 
like nerdy, I guess, and had a passing interest. And I believe they went on to play their own like games after the fact because they all lived together as well. Um, not that I was ever invited to those, <laughs> but you know. Uh, but I think they just wanted to like mess around with it because uh, you know the games I, I ran for them. They were always like going back to loot bodies and checking every room. Like they treat it like a basically like a computer game in that regard. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to make sure you get every single piece of loot and that type of thing. But, um, you know, even then I had no idea how to run it. So, but yeah, the, uh, coming back to the <laughs> question about what's, what inspires what, I guess, um, these days I do get inspired by, uh, by D and D to create art. Like, uh, you know, I do probably like a lot of people out there listen to critical role and uh, a few other, um, what's the word like, uh, actual play podcasts and all that. So I guess being an artist working on stuff in my own time, uh, podcasts like that act like, uh, what's the, like, um, uh, audio books. So yeah. Uh, I listened, used to listen to a lot of audiobooks while I was working um, and switched to podcasts and realized people were playing D&D live and recording it and putting it up online. So I got into that uh, and then um, was drawing fan art for them. Not like actively, just for myself. I never really posted anything online. But uh, yeah, just uh, the stories you can come up with while playing D&D inspired like some of the crazy adventures that, you, you know, you can can get up to in uh, like say comics for example right but uh yeah i don't know it's it's really interesting to see where things can go depending on the minds involved <laughs> so it's uh, it can be a completely like grim dark fantasy story or it can be like completely zany sort of thing but uh yeah or a good good healthy mix of the both you know is probably the more accurate yeah, that's one thing that I noticed running the beginner box for two different sets of people at the same time was I'd, I'd run, <clears throat> I'd do a, a section of the, the module for one group and then later that same week run that same section of the module for the second, the, the other group. And oh, seeing yeah. these two different groups, one of which I think could definitely, you could classify them as more in the slapstick arena and the other one was... Yeah. They still, you know, played around and had fun, but we're definitely playing a little bit more seriously, seeing just how differently they would approach um, stuff from the beginner's box, like these exact same scenarios, like, you know, what do you do when there's potentially a trap ahead or when you've got to go after a, a dragon that's holed up in this town? Like, seeing them have completely different ways to approach the same problem was uh kind of eye-opening and i think to me it kind of showed how how much fun and powerful D can be yeah so in that way when i was playtesting tomb of the dredge lord i realized because i'd never re- really written a module before um i had the group of group of people i had they got stuck at one part and it's like when you're just outside the tomb um, and I don't want to spoil anything, but I guess people listening to this will be other DMs, right? So you might be running this for people. Um, there was that you get to fight some goblins, and inside this cave, there's like a like the entrance to the tomb, and uh, they didn't have any way of 
getting in there because they kept failing their roles. They kept flubbing them, and I like gave them another chance to like do it. And I'm like, cool, yeah, you nearly missed an arm because this thing happened. Uh, well, you nearly lost an arm, I should say, because uh, you know you weren't quick enough. But um, but I had to like make up something on the fly so they could actually get in. And there was like a a little antechamber where like the goblins were putting all their uh, all their refuse and garbage, and like there was like a floating like corpse in there and one of the one of the characters was like i'm gonna search through the rubbish to see if there's anything in there and i was like oh okay that's pretty gross but sure give me a roll and um they realized that underneath like this that there was this deer corpse that was covering this hole and uh there was suction holding it in so they like grabbed it by the antlers and just like ripped it out and uh the pit just drained full of water and they were like okay i'm gonna crawl through this hole and i was like this isn't part of the adventure, but it's kind of gross and cool. So I'm going to let you go with it. <laughs> and they uh, crawled through this like slime hole to get to the other side of the door and um, unlocked it that way instead of the ways I had created for them to, you know, either like destroy the arcane lock or like get past it with your dexterity or whatever. And uh, yeah, it was like, I, I realized at that point, like it, it, running games and no matter what you do the players are going to figure out a way to get around it if you give them enough creativity and leeway so yeah if you've given them enough uh drive to get past a a locked door like i think i saw this was a while ago i was reading a blog post about somebody uh they were kind of complaining about how the game the computer game neverwinter nights hobbled your choices Mm. in some ways and made you go in on these like weird long quests to get past the guards at a, at a city gate, which was locked for reasons. And he's right. talking about how, you know, in an actual game of D and D players could come up with so many ways they could bribe the guards, yeah. climb over the city wall, try to sneak through, try to sneak around. Mm-hmm. Like I think seeing players come up with the solution that you never expected is part of the fun of being a DM because you know, you know Definitely. what you've got in front of you behind your DM screen was like, okay, yeah, there's a door and they'll unlock it. And then, you know, depending on the group, they might just unlock it and, you know, roll well enough to unlock it and continue on or spend the rest of the session trying to figure out how to get past the door. Coming, yeah. coming up with ever more elaborate s- solutions for something that was meant to be just a quick bump in the road. Yes. Yeah. Like, sadly, like so. What I have done with with this uh, Tomb of the Dredge Lord uh, module is kind of it's pretty much on rails, um, and I wanted to do that for a couple of reasons uh, to make it easier for the DM, and so the characters knew there was like a logical progression through the through the arc uh, through the story. But I didn't want to like take away too much creativity either. But at the same time, I feel like it needed to have some, especially for beginners. But uh, if if like a, an experienced GM DM gets their hands on this book, they can it, it's up to them what they do with it. Like uh, it, it's more of like a guideline of what you could use this the story for and and go from there. Um, I don't know. It was it was fun to to make and it was a lot of effort actually. But uh, like in terms of coming up a story and thinking of traps and that type of thing, it's uh, not as easy as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> planning it all out yeah uh that actually leads me to uh I'm, I'm looking at it right now and one of the things that you note right on the front pa- or uh, the first kind of opening page is that it's just a game these are just guidelines tell your best story just have fun 
And I think that's like that's a really nice uh, note, especially to be giving to brand new DMs and players. Like, because I I've talked to a lot of DMs who run out of module to start with and feel like like they need someone to give them permission to change things. Yes, yeah. And I really appreciate that you put that like right in the front of the book. Yeah, that's. Uh, I feel like it just goes in the spirit of the game is just making sure you've had fun. Like, uh, so I used to play uh, Warhammer 40k <laughs> back in the day, and uh, some of the some of the people I played against took the rules really seriously, and it kind of ruined the experience. So uh, I think the thing I enjoy about D and D the most is that you get to play with people who are kind of like-minded in that regard and uh, just want to enjoy the game. And I mean, you do hear about problem players every now and again, but uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I haven't run into any because <laughs> I don't play public games most of the time, but uh, the one or two that I have, the people have been lovely. It's uh, it's been, it's been great so far. And uh, yeah, I'm actually looking for more games to play and it's just uh, hard to track them down. <laughs> I guess you just have to know where to look. I think uh, real quickly, you said that uh, this the Tomb of the Dredge Lord is more on rails, and I think for something f- that's meant for more beginner DMs and players, I feel yeah. like that's a good thing because I remember, like I I only played or ran the uh, the box set for my friends. Oh, it was like three years ago now, so it's still somewhat like I can still remember how it felt before that first session feeling kind of terrified that like, Oh, they're supposed to get ambushed, but like there's, I feel like the fifth edition beginner's box set. Once you kind of get past the first encounter, things get a little bit better. And I think, yeah, I feel like wizards of the coast could have done a little bit better to have that first encounter be a little bit more constrained because right off the bat there's a whole bunch of different ways that that first scenario can play out and yeah. for somebody who's never dm'd it's a little terrifying that's right yeah i uh, i i did so the the start of the dredge lord zine i actually included like a little intro um like to get players in the in the mood so they can realize like possibilities are kind of endless it starts with all the players um in a tavern regaling the 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 innkeeper and the folk like in their drinking in this small town in the middle of nowhere um, about their latest exploit and uh, it was months and months ago that this happened and they've just been living off their uh, off their success uh, since then they basically save the town from goblins or something like that but the trick is like they get to make up what happened so uh, you basically start the story off and then you like prompt a player for for something like um, someone went missing or whatever, like they have to tell you and then um, you go through the whole story. So like uh, I'm trying to remember the example that one of my friends, uh, uh, Jared down in, uh, in uh, DC, he was telling me they, uh, what did they do? They saved the town from a bandit who was stealing chickens and they named him Chicken Bane or something <laughs> like that. But it's like right from the get-go, you're just like getting them in that like kind of improvisational mindset and uh, going from there. So they uh, can get in that like, oh, I can do whatever I want sort of thing, but within within reason yeah. as well, because you don't want them being like making up stuff, um, you know, like 
<laughs> I'm going to kill the, the innkeeper or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of introduction for the that introduces the players as well to how D&D works is I think that's a really good idea because that is something that I had trouble with is that there were a couple of people in each group that had either played before or um, took to the improvisational nature of the game pretty quickly. But there were a couple of people that it definitely took a few sessions before they kind of wrapped their heads around like, Oh, right. I'm in control of this character. I can they like that character does yeah. what I decide they do. There's, I guess like a little bit of disconnect there because it's such an arbitrary type thing. Like uh, this, this character that exists on paper written in pencil um, like who are they? What are they? What do they do? Like, how do I, I mean, are they me? And for someone such as myself who didn't really have any degree of acting, like I never did took any acting classes in high school or haven't really done any performance type art. It's all been visual. Um, D and D's helped me, uh, not like confront that, but like get more in tune with that and, realize that I can I can still do that sort of thing if I wanted to. And uh, as a result, I've actually been looking into improv classes because I feel like not only would they help D&D, but they would help me with a lot of like, uh, uh, what's the term? Like, um, like being more confident and that type of thing too. Just, uh, you know, being able to speak more off the top of my head and instead of having to sit there and think about things before I respond and, uh, you know, like that, that type of stuff. But it's uh yeah the, i think getting over that first initial hump of like it's kind of a performance is also a mental roadblock for some some people and i know it was for me when i first began too so yeah same here like having to think about i think that's one of the things that i think the beginner box did well was that it starts you off with an encounter versus some goblins rather than hmm. in a tavern with a bunch of named npcs so that the yes, dm can yeah. kind of you know, start to dip their toe in the water of, well, you know, play these goblins however you want, but it doesn't matter because the players will either kill them or chase them off in this encounter. So, yeah. you know, whatever mistakes you make are kind of wiped clean at the end of the encounter. Yeah. Yeah. I do like to include options for my players to actually negotiate with the monsters. Um, I like to think every time they come across a group of goblins in a cave that they might actually be a family unit and uh, maybe you shouldn't kill them because they're just trying to survive and they're not necessarily evil. They're just seen as evil by, you know, human or humanoid societies because of some of the things they do. But if you're an animal that's, you know, killing a rabbit to eat, it's not really an evil thing. It's just you're doing that to survive. But I guess because goblins have some level of intelligence, this doing the same thing is considered evil. But I don't know. Yeah. It's, I've uh, done something similar in the past where I've had tribes of goblins be on the run from other goblinoids, like be on the right. run from hobgoblins, because hobgoblins are kind of easier to portray as a little bit more evil yes, because they're yeah. very warlike, whereas goblins... You know, they're like, you know, any of the other races, like there's some that will be into war and all that stuff. And there's some that just want to be left alone. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they find a little spot that no one is going to come bother them, like in the mountain, way off the beaten track. 
And uh, if uh, adventurers stumble in there, they just they, they want to be left alone, but also to protect their family unit. So they're going to respond how anyone would respond in that situation. Um, so yeah, I do I do like to give them the option, like the players, the, that option to to take it that way. But if they if they don't, it's entirely up to them. Um, I mean, it's always a little bit disappointing when they don't try to negotiate, but like at the same time, it's probably how I would respond to, because um, it's, it's basically like a, what's the word? Like a uh, presumption that goblins are evil. Um, and I'm using goblins as an example here. You could, uh, I think the the fifth edition starter guide had a, a hobgoblin you could negotiate with and because uh, uh, he was working for someone or other, like the big bad and uh, was holding on to, Barry Blue Jeans, but I can't remember his actual name. I just remember the, <laughs> the name of the Adventure Brothers call. That's what they call it. But yeah, um, but yeah, you could actually negotiate with that guy apparently um, from memory. But it's been a while since I ran that adventure. So, but yeah, it's uh, the the opportunities are limitless, as they say. For sure. So, so Matt, uh, you're a comic artist, um, and you've made this zine how do you relate visual storytelling to D and vice versa how how does that like help your work or influence your work uh, it helps me in a way that i can act things out which uh as i was just mentioning it's kind of like a mental roadblock for me to perform but uh acting out things in front of characters and players gives me a bit more uh uh, like confidence in knowing that this is how they would act and respond. So I can do that in, in my head as I'm writing scripts or um, sketching out ideas and that type of thing. Or like it just gives me like a better language um, and a better tool to use uh, for storytelling and creating characters rather than just uh, just drawing on a bit of paper until something looks good, uh, which is, you know, I've done in the past, but uh actually posing and that type of thing and like speaking in a funny voice to get the character down. That's, that's a really, it's actually really interesting. Like, cause I, I mean, I'm, I'm not an artist. Um, and Haley has run some D and D and has played D and D a bunch, but doesn't like not, I haven't watched her kind of channel that either way, but it, it's really interesting to me that those right. skills are interchangeable. Cause there is, I think it's not an obvious at first look, relationship but like you explaining it makes sense that like yeah i I either watch the players act out something or i act out something and that helped and you can then apply that to an entirely different medium like it's uh it's not like like they get up and start strutting around the room and like striking poses for me or anything like that like that's uh that's uh watering on like um uh, what's the word we have the actual swords and go out in the oh man a LARP? Yeah. <laughs> so we don't LARP in my house, but uh, it's, I'm not I'm not against doing that. Like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, they, even just like their mannerisms when they're acting in character change and uh, maybe they have like a hand flourish or something like that. And having that like, that brain like, like fire off in that direction where it hadn't fired before to like make that connection between character and uh, mannerism helps when designing a character or drawing a character because maybe 
like I definitely, this is something I suffered from in my early careers. Like my characters were very flat. They weren't engaging and didn't have very like many mannerisms. They all kind of did the same pose or like the same, same face and that type of thing. But as I've been playing more D and D and drawing more, I've realized I can, uh, I can explore that character a bit more, whether it's just in my mind or like, you know, I still can't really do it uh, in front of people. So it's more in private, but um, just like how they might act or strut and what their walk cycle might be like if they were to like, uh, you know, actually get up and walk around the room. Uh, it, it, it helps to make those connections um, in my mind. So, yeah, I think a lot of art can be beneficial to other forms of art, like uh, visual art is primarily what I've dealt with, but obviously music has a lot to say about it um, that can inform me while I'm making a scene or I'll play music while I'm running D&D to help set the tone. Um, and also like performing in a way does help with like uh, uh, yeah, characters and who they are and what they do in D&D as well as in, in my comics. Do you, I'm just wondering, do you have any specific examples of maybe something that happened at the table that like helped you get over a roadblock in your art or gave you inspiration for how a character might act or respond to something? Let me think that's uh yeah. I don't know if I have anything specific. I think it's just more like I was able to, I made that connection, whether it was like subconsciously or like, very much forefront of my mind i realized that that was something i could do but yeah i'm trying to trying to think i think just by like practicing and uh when i say practice i mean just like you know playing a character and that type of thing it it unlocks something in inside that inside your mind at least and as, as those new those neurons firing along another pathway that lets you uh access something that you didn't really have access to before like uh yeah stage fright was a big thing for me actually but back in high school i was like a quiet sort of person and uh, couldn't do anything but like playing D and very much being on the spot as a dm helped me get over that but uh i can't think of anything specific i think just being a d like a gm in general has helped me get over like um, shyness and being more confident etc but yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and that's actually helped me in a similar way when i started playing i wasn't necessarily shy but it helped me like you know when i first started playing DD, i was like i'm gonna play characters with no personality because <laughs> yeah. i don't know what i'm, I'm nervous and kind of scared and then as i played more and then later dm that is that's no longer the case yeah yeah I think that's that's the case for a lot of people that are attracted to this uh, this pastime, this hobby, um, this game. Um, probably came from you know kind of like a shy or didn't want to be the center, like the, like under the spotlight too much. And uh, especially if it's like in a small group like this, you know, like you're playing with like four, five, six people, and generally you know everybody. It's uh, it's really helpful, like in in overcoming that and. Uh, um, I think, so I actually, this year was the first time I played my, uh, played in a group with, uh, strangers, like people I'd never met before. And it was the Eberron campaign that I was talking about. And, uh, I was playing 
a warforged so i think like basically no personality more or less a robot but like you know people play them differently but uh i didn't really perform much not as much as i do at my own table but even then um the small bit of performance that i put into it helped me overcome that a bit more as well you know so and that's another reason i've been looking into uh you know doing some improv lessons because i think most of the time when you do improv lessons the last lesson you have is performing in front of a group and uh while that sounds horrific it's uh i think it might be like incredibly beneficial for me to <laughs> to do that so <laughs> but I'll, I'll see how i go i still haven't done it and i've been looking into it for over a year now so uh one day I hear amazing things about applying improv to D and D. It's definitely something I want to check out at some point too. When I, you know, actually have time for it. Well, you'd have um, so many classes over there in BC, being like what North Hollywood and all that. Yeah, so, <laughs> there's a ton here, but they're all like uh, the theater, theater-based um, uh, improv classes, which is still fine. Like, it, it is, I can apply those skills anywhere, but. Uh, yeah, from somebody I know is a is a comedian as their as is their part time job, and uh, he's been saying that they're like he came he uh, grew up in Toronto, and I think from from him at least my understanding is that Toronto might have a little bit uh, stronger uh, comedy culture. So I, I don't know how much of that is stand up what he does versus uh, improv type stuff. So. There's, but there's got to be like in a city like that. There's got to be plenty of uh, plenty of groups oh, yeah. that or or yeah, workshops or stuff like that. There's definitely more of a uh, like. Well, there's definitely like a comedy culture, I guess. I don't know what you call it, but uh, like theater and comedy seem to be some pretty big, uh, uh, like not markets, but like there's quite a few clubs around. Um, the one that we so I've done like an introductory class at a place called. Uh, feel free to cut this out but bad dog theater i think was the name of the place uh, and they primarily have like improv groups performing and uh, some comedians doing stand-up and that type of stuff um, but then i think like you've got the mervish theaters on all, all the way over like on uh, like young street i think there's a couple like that run out of them i've had one of my friends do that uh one of those classes and he said it was pretty pretty helpful for him um he's like a youtube channel that he runs um and he's just starting back up. But, uh, yeah, he, he said that that was super helpful. Um, in fact, I think he, he did that one based on the fact that uh, my partner, Caitlin, and I were looking at doing some. Um, so he kind of jumped on it straight away because he doesn't have that inhibition of performing and that type of stuff. So he's, he's quite happy to be in front of a crowd and talk. But uh, he just wanted more of those skills um, to, to help him with his uh, you know channel and like all that sort of stuff. And... Uh, but yeah, there's there's a few places around town um, that do them, so I should just I should just do it. But uh, uh, the nights that they were on, they were I was actually going axe throwing, <laughs> so I couldn't, you know. Uh, but yeah, axe throwing was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I feel like it's a very relatable D and D skill to have. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Um, so. We, we tend to ask a final question here, um, and it's if you could jump in a time machine, go back in time to tell yourself something about uh, running D&D &D and how it would affect 
uh, your art and stuff, what would what what advice would you give yourself? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'd say I'd go back and slap myself in the face and say, "Fantasy isn't dumb. You should enjoy <laughs> it sooner, you dumb little prick." And then I just top back on my time machine and leave. No, I'd say- <laughs> uh, I love the no explanation. It's perfect. Yeah. So no, it's uh, I think getting into D and D and fantasy like stuff earlier would have been. In terms of like storytelling and getting into creative processes, that would have helped me like so much. I didn't, I didn't, I've only been making comics less than 10 years now. Um, and it only came about as, you know, wanting to tell stories in a, like a fantasy setting. So, you know, I've basically gone from there. So, yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. So, thanks so much for, for coming on and uh telling us about a little bit more about the design and, and your art and everything like that is there uh sure anything that you would like to plug oh sure uh i'll be at uh tcaf here in toronto um may 11th and 12th so if you're in town you should uh come by and check me out i'll be on the second floor and uh, a bunch of my friends will be there uh i won't be at vancaf this year sadly but i have a bunch bunch of friends going there and uh, uh lex uh sorry let me start that again. Yeah. Um, I stupidly forgot to include a, bring a glass of water over to my desk. So <laughs> my mouth's starting to try. Um, so I won't be at VanCaf this year, but uh, I have a bunch of friends going. Um, so yeah, check them out. Um, but uh, yeah, it should be launching a, uh, like a Kickstarter for uh, the second part of Saga of Metal Beard. Um, so please uh, check that out and, uh, you know, get yourself a copy of the book while you're at it and uh, hopefully I'll have uh, Metal Beard available at TCAF but I'll definitely have uh, Tomb of the Dredge Lord there so uh, come pick yourself up a copy And is there anywhere online that people should go to, to find your stuff? Oh yeah there, you can check me out on Instagram it's uh, mkhoddy so m-k-h-o-d-d-y um, same on Twitter uh, I don't really post there much anymore but uh, Instagram's the main source otherwise uh, yeah check out uh, spacepirates.com Pirates is spelt with a Y, not an I. Um, but yeah, that's uh, they're the main places you can uh, get in contact with me as well. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys have been up to running your own games and uh, that type of thing. So awesome. Thanks so much. No worries. Thank you, guys. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Moros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at, at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, You can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Yeah, every little bit helps out and it's going to go towards paying our hosting fees and then eventually hopefully getting everybody better editing. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program. Doug Vandalay here for Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Each week, I sit down with a comedian to talk about their career and their comedic influences. Learn about your favorite comedians talking about their favorite comedians. That's Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. 
I'm Piers Ray. Sitting with me is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Eric Ivanovich. We're the hosts of Podcast vs. Podcast right here on the Cave Goblin Network. This is the only podcast pitching show on the internet. Tune in, find out if we can ever find the perfect podcast, or more importantly, can we agree on it? <laughs>